probably about four or five weeks ago, uh, I preached a message on uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, which talks about the, uh, the body of Christ and the family of God and the fact that it's actually a household. And uh, Paul's main idea there is uh, we are united, so we might as well act like we're united, and, and we need to have community. And the Bible probably uh, does make some commands about being in biblical community, but ultimately it assumes that we'll be in community because we're a family together. So the deal with that then is uh, we've got to work out how we're going to do that. And uh, Paul actually goes on to help out a little bit with how to, uh, how to make community happen and biblical community happen in Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, we could be in there for the term of our natural lives. Who knows how long we're going to be there, but there's a stack of stuff in there that would be really helpful to us to learn how to uh, be in community. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about uh, opportunities and threats to community. Uh, yeah, a massive threat to community is pride. So Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 leads out and he says that we need to uh, be in the family together in the household of God with all humility. Because if you have pride, uh, it's going to be a messy, messy family. And we know that from society and we know that from our own experience that when pride gets in, it tends to be divisive and very destructive. And humility comes in and actually is, is very, a very uniting force. It's actually a very uncommon thing to see two genuinely humble people fighting and arguing, isn't it? You just don't see it. But it's quite a common thing to see two very proud people fighting and arguing because that's the nature of pride. So today we're actually going to head on to um, another thing that Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4 about speaking the truth in love. And uh, some of you are just going to be rubbing your hands with glee thinking it's about time someone spoke about this and I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> Um, I might just pray and uh, ask that God would help us today and uh, then we'll get into it. Eh? Jesus, please help us today. Please help us by your Holy Spirit to understand uh, what you want to say. And uh, I love that you know every single person's heart in here precisely and you know how to take what I say and uh, communicate it to the exact place that people are at in their hearts. And I pray that you would do that today, uh, whether they be... A, a non-Christian, through to a person who's been a Christian for 40 years. I pray that you would do something that far exceeds mere words and uh, that you'd work in us, you'd work in me and you'd uh, help us to edge a little bit closer to uh, being the community that I guess in a spiritual sense we are but you're calling us to attain to as well. Amen. Here's the two critical verses out of Ephesians 4. All right, One of them's in verse 15. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. So there's a sense there in 25 that we belong to each other, so we ought to speak the truth to each other. And your response may be, why is truth such a big issue to Paul? Why in one chapter does he have to say it's really important for people in biblical community to speak the truth to each other? And I'm going to give you a whole bunch of good reasons why I think it's important that we all speak the truth to each other. Really, really important. And in doing that, I'm going to show you a very non-spiritual ad. All right, This is a viral ad that's been on YouTube. Has anyone seen the Old Spice commercials on YouTube? Yeah? This is one of the Old Spice commercials. I'll, uh, I'll just roll it and uh, make a couple of comments after it. Hello, ladies. Look at your man. Now back to me. Now back at your man. Now back to me. Sadly, he isn't me. But if he stopped using lady scented body wash and switched to Old Spice, he could smell like he's me. Look down. Back up. Where are you? You're on a boat with the man your man could smell like. 
What's in your hand? Back at me. I have it. It's an oyster with two tickets to that thing you love. Look again. The tickets are now diamond. Anything is possible when your man smells like Old Spice and not a lady. I'm on a horse. On the YouTube channel, let me read you the uh, comment that they put on the YouTube channel, uh, the Old Spice YouTube channel. They said, uh, we're not saying this body wash will make your man smell into a romantic millionaire jet fighter pilot, but we are insinuating it. This is absolutely the deal with marketing, all right? We live in a marketing-saturated culture, and anyone that's got an Android phone that thinks they can get Angry Birds for free knows about it, right? Has anyone got Android Angry Birds? Uh, a couple, but they're not willing to fess up to it. You get the little ads in it, right? Because you bought it for free, all right? So they put ads. There's ads everywhere. I read some uh, information recently about... Uh, the fact that uh, companies that actually market inside computer games uh, are actually finding that from their research that it actually becomes counterproductive for their marketing in computer games. So they're actually inserting stuff into computer games trying to sell your gear with a product that you paid for. We, we live in a marketing-saturated culture. And you know the main objective of marketers, in my opinion, is to make you feel like you need things that you only really want. That's what it is. And, 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 we, and, and we sit down and we watch the TV and we just go, yeah, like, seriously, I don't think I'm going to live without a foot spa. All right? I'm going to, literally, I'm going to die on Monday if I don't have that by 3 p.m. All right? Or there's a car there, you know. It's a $60,000 car and you've got a $500,000 mortgage and you think, man, I, that's, that's my lifeblood, you know. That's, that's the whole deal with marketing is it actually persuades you that what you want is actually what you need. And uh, it's interesting, I don't have time today, but there's a whole, uh, you can go onto YouTube if you type in the century of the self, you can actually see the progression in marketing and uh, probably the grandfather, it would seem, of marketing is actually Freud's nephew, who, uh, who actually worked out that if you tie uh, products to people's sense of themselves, you can sell a lot more products. And I think that's probably why we're in a little bit of an era now where the marketing doesn't advertise a product anymore. It's almost always advertising a lifestyle, making you think that you need it. Marketing lies to you because you don't need the foot spa and you don't need the $60,000 car, all right? Sometimes you just need a push bike, isn't that true? Feel the wind in your hair as it goes through the holes in your helmet, right? Maybe not on the 100K now zone on the highway, but marketing lies to you. And this is a culture that we actually live in. There's actually an abundance of deception in our culture. Let me tell you what some of the uh, deceptions are in our culture, but also in the church and spiritually speaking. The first one is obviously the devil. I, um, have you ever watched two people having a discussion and it's getting pretty fiery and you're standing there and you're going, this is pretty fun. Have you ever, I mean, it's just me. You just stand there and you go, well, this is a really interesting conversation. These two gladiators are going at each other and you know only one of them is going to be, it's a sick, maybe it's a sinful kind of disobedient thing, but I've had that sick pleasure where you go, oh, this is really quite entertaining, all right? This is one of the discussions that's going on here. I reckon if the disciples were standing around watching Jesus, they would have gone, well, this is really quite interesting. Check this one out. This is where... uh, Jesus talks about the devil. He's talking to the Pharisees. They answered him, the Pharisees, Abraham's our dad. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing what Abraham did. 
But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So Jesus is going, Abraham's not your dad, because we're Jews, we're Israelites, we came from Abraham. Uh, they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Right? You know what they're saying? Ah, Jesus, Mary got pregnant when she wasn't married. See? And they're saying, oh, I see. You were born of sexual immorality. So they're having a chop back at him. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? What is wrong with you? You know, like, why don't you get this? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. And then Jesus takes it up about 50 notches and he says, you are of your father, the devil. They're thinking, we're the holy ones. Our dad's Abraham. He's going, no, your dad is the devil himself. All right. And I can see the horns coming out of your head right now. And your will is to do your father's desires. See, put this in today's context. This would be like walking, someone walking into this church and all of us just going, no, not that it's exactly the same, but you'd be going, no, God's our father. And Jesus comes in and goes, no, you're actually, your dad's a devil. That's very confrontational stuff. All right. It's not a kind of a nice touchy feely kind of deal. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth. Note this. Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Other versions of, the, uh, of that scripture there actually say that when the devil lies, he speaks his native tongue or his native language. All right? So like I'm speaking English, some dialect of it. People, too many people have said to me, I've got some weird accent. I don't even know what it is. Maybe it's the uh, Aussie yokel accent or something. But when I speak English, I speak my native language. So you have to expect, and I don't want to have a big devil beat up, because I think we can pretty well mess our lives up on our own without his help, but he, uh, he just lies all the time. So you just got to expect he's going to lie all the time. Do you? All right? And then you have this scripture in 1 John 5, 19 that says, uh, we know that we are from God and the whole, the whole world lies in the power of everyone, right? So now we've got an even bigger problem, right? Not only do we have deception coming directly from the devil, but the world is actually, he's in charge of it somehow. So if he's in charge of it, you can expect that the world is going to lie to you as well. Which at some level is kind of what's happening with marketing. And then, uh, if you go right back uh, to the early days of the project, and you, you can get these messages online, um, all of us, worship something all of the time we just choose what we worship gk chesterton was the one that said it he said that uh, when people stop believing in god they don't then believe in nothing they actually believe in anything because that's what humans do that that's what we do when we stop worshiping god we don't stop worshiping we just worship something else and trust in something else to be our god and when we trust in something else, whoop de do. What have we done? We've just made ourselves an idol. We've just created another God. There's something else that we hope in, that we trust in, that we run to uh, when we're sad, and that becomes a God for us. It was interesting. On uh, Friday, I was talking to a student in one of my classes, and uh, cut a long story short, I, I, said, I was talking to this student about her, her idolatry, and she, she said, well, I don't really know what that is. And I said, okay, when you're really, really sad, what do you go to for comfort? Straight up, she knew straight away and she told me. 
And that she's just made some kind of God out of the thing that she runs to for comfort because that's one of the things that gods do. And what we actually find in Romans chapter 1 is that idols actually lie to you, right? So you've got the devil lies to you, the world does because the world's under his authority and his, at some level, under his authority and his command. Uh, it's in his control. And then you've got your own idols lie to you. I actually think other Christians, I reckon if we got down to 10 tacks in terms of the conversations that happen after church and in community groups, we would actually be lying to each other a lot of the time. I'll give you one example. I'm going to really lay into this next week. One thing I feel really passionately about is uh, what people talk about most of the time is a way that you can find out what is most important to them. All right? If I talk to you all the time about Jesus, then hopefully you would get the sense that Jesus is the thing that's most important to me. All right? It'll be interesting at the end of church to know how many of us are talking about the weather. Fair call? I mean, we do. I do. I mean, I've already done it this morning. After church, do I talk about the weather more than Jesus? Because I think if I do, that shows that I have a greater worth in the weather than I do in Christ. And in a sense, what I'm actually communicating to people is a little tiny, I don't want to get massively intense and hard line about it, but it's a little bit of deception. I'm exalting the worth of the weather over the worth of Christ. And in a sense, we lie to each other, and that's just one example. Next week, you'll get about eight of them, all right? And uh, we'll work through some of this next week because there's going to be a part two. But we don't always, we're not always totally straight with one another. I wonder if God gave us a five or a ten minute window of perfect insight into who the other person was after church. I wonder how well that would line up with what they present. I mean, it's not even just the things that we say to each other where we don't always represent the truth. It's also the, the way that we represent ourselves that doesn't always represent the truth. I wonder how much this morning we were thinking about how other people are going to view you. We're thinking about how other people are going to view you. I mean, we all do, and there's probably a level at which that's appropriate, but sometimes we can be thinking a lot about how other people are going to see us, and we choose our words very carefully because we want to portray a certain image that may not be actually truthful regarding who you are really on the inside. And every sin or disobedience and temptation at its core actually begins with unbelief. In other words, we believe a lie. And this is a thing. I mean... If a temptation comes your way, the bottom line is the temptation is actually saying it would be better to do this than to believe God. So believe the lie, pay later, instead of believing the, the truth and be blessed later. There's a lot of deception around. I hope you're getting that feel. All right. The big question here, who's going to speak the truth? Well, we should, shouldn't we? We should speak the truth with each other. All right. You may have heard some analogies of this type before, but uh, this, is, this is my version of it, all right? If, uh, if we had a continuum uh, of confron- to describe people's uh, actions in confrontational situations, they could be described as being on a continuum somewhere between turtles and cowboys. Let me, uh, let me help you to understand this. If you're a turtle, if you're right down the turtle end of the uh, continuum, every time a confrontational thing or a hard thing comes up and it gets a little bit rough and a bit intense, what do you think a turtle does? 
pulls its head in. All right? Pulls its legs in, pulls its head in. All right? Wants to avoid it. Wants to get away from it. On the other hand, what you actually have at the other end of the spectrum are the cowboys, right? You guys know that this is true, yeah? It's like something intense comes up or there's something they don't like and they just start loading their six-shooter. All right? Where's my horse? Right? I'm loading my double-barreled shotgun. And they're the people at this end of the spectrum who are just going, right, I'm going to blow you away. All right? And they just let it go. All right? They let the words go and they just fire away. And what you actually get in conflict situations often is your cowboy, as soon as there's something that irritates them or there's some uh, truth that needs to get out there, they just shoot it. Like, the quicker they can empty their magazine, the better. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? And then your turtle is the one just thunk, you know, the head goes in, the arms are in, and I'm just, I'm not engaging, all right? And often, uh, not always the case, but often in marriages, have you heard that statement, opposites attract? attract? Yeah? There's also a statement, opposites attack, which is kind of a bit true too. But often in marriages, what you actually get is you get a cowboy and a turtle marry each other, which is really interesting, right? Because you go thunk, and then like this, all right? And sometimes, obviously, you can have a marriage where you have two turtles marry each other, and that's really interesting because they rarely ever talk about anything. All right? There can be, there's a cracking big white elephant sitting in the room, and they're not talking about it. No one's going near it because it's thunk. That's just too hard basket. All right? But look out on the other hand where you've got a couple of cowboys together, right? It's, man, it's like, there's only going to be one person alive at the end of it. Let me, uh, let me tell you something about turtles, though. There will be a moment, actually, let's just have a show of hands. Who actually thinks maybe they're tending toward the cowboy end of the spectrum? Anyone got their, yeah, all right, put your hands down. Who thinks maybe they tend toward the uh, turtle end? Of course, they're not going to put their hands up, are they? No, <laughs> kidding. Let me tell you something that happens in conflict situations uh, between your turtles and your cowboys, right? You've got a conflict situation. The cowboy's just thinking, how can I unload my magazine as quick as possible? The turtle's going, thunk, right? Everything's in there. They're just protecting themselves. If they get pushed far enough, do turtles fight back? Absolutely they do, right? They strap on a suicide bomber's vest, (laughs) all right? And they fight wherever that red button is for the atom bomb, all right? Because it just, for the turtle, it just, it does, they get on the horse, all right? And when they get on the horse, self-preservation is absolutely of no concern to them. All right? They just want to just absolutely obliterate everything. As long as they take everyone else down with them, they're shooting at them, they'll do it. You know what I'm talking about? No, you don't know. Anyway. This is really critical when it comes to uh, speaking the truth in love at church because the truth is that the cowboys are probably going to be guilty of speaking the truth without love. And the turtles are going to be guilty of loving without speaking the truth. And this is pretty much where we're going to end up at the end of today's message is, which one are you? What, what's your tendency? Um, is, is it a tendency to speak the truth and not love people or, or to not speak the truth? I'll tell you, the word at the bottom of the screen here is rebuke. And probably every single turtle in this room is just going, man, that is like the last thing that I want to do is ever front someone up about something that they're doing that's not good for them. But Ephesians 4, you need to speak the truth. 
And it's an interesting thing, and I'll talk about this a little bit later, is in the church that we often just think about sins of commission, the things that you do wrong. We don't think about the things that we haven't done that we should have done. And that's probably going to apply to the turtles. So let's get into it. What is rebuke? Well, here's a good definition for you. Rebuke is a word the Bible uses to describe the bringing of truth where change is needed. The truth is there's not one person in this whole church here today or this hall who doesn't need to have some change in their lives. And it could well be the case that the way that God wants to bring about that change is by someone else in the church speaking the truth to you. Well, how do you feel about this? I wonder if I uh, went up to you today and I said, hey, listen, uh, have you got some time to get together? Because tomorrow, well, sometime this week, I'd just really love to come over and, and rebuke you. <laughs> All right? Just go, yeah, let's make it 7.30 Tuesday. All right? Now, what's gonna, how are you going to be feeling about, uh, about having that appointment? All right? <laughs> you're probably going to go home, you take the dogs off the leash. All right? You're going to load the gun, right? put on your brass knuckles. It's going to be a cage fight to the death all right? when this person comes over because rebuke's not something that we really like very much, is it? I mean, there's, there's uh, lots of times in the church where people get encouraged, but I wonder, whether, uh, I wonder how this would go if we uh, had an altar call and we said, come forward if you feel like you need a rebuke, right? And we'll just like stand, you can stand up along the front and we'll publicly rebuke every one of you. No? That's a bad idea. You know, we're saying things to each other like, you an artist or did you just get dressed in the dark? You know, what's, what's the go with your hair? What's, what's with you? You know, why do you come late to church? And we're doing, and it's very uncomfortable. And it would be very uncomfortable because there's a side to it that's not appropriate at all actually publicly rebuke people like that to pour shame upon them. But does that mean that rebuke doesn't belong in the church? Absolutely not. I think it does. And in fact, it shows up a lot in the book of Proverbs, which is a book about wisdom. Check this out. A lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. I wonder how many times you've had a situation where someone's presented with something or said a certain thing, and you knew that it wasn't quite right, but you just didn't say anything. Proverbs 27.5, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. I actually hope that some of you already know that. You've had people come up to you and just stand up against you and just say, that's actually not right what you're doing there, and it's actually brought a huge amount of life to you. It certainly happened to me. Proverbs 27.9, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Earnest. Probably some of the best counsel that you'll give each other is when you actually lovingly cut across one another and say, this is actually not going to be the best thing for you. I'm just seeing it differently and this is the way I'm seeing it. And the last one, 27.17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. This is a classic one that gets quoted all the time. All right? Yeah, just think about it. How do you sharpen a knife? How do you sharpen a knife? With a steel. All right? If you sharpen a knife with a steel, is there going to be some friction that actually creates the sharpening on the knife? Yeah, it will. Will there be heat? Yeah, it will. Is part of the knife going to disappear? Yeah, it does. That's how the sharpening works. All right? 
And we often quote this and we kind of go, yeah, yeah, we've got to sharpen each other, right? If you're going to sharpen each other and the Bible commands that you do, it's, there's going to be friction, there'll be heat, and some of you will be missing at the end of it. <laughs> Straightforward. But, but it's a part of you that's good to lose. That's the point. Um, so just, I'm just saying, just be careful when you quote that scripture. If you think that's a really cool one, just be careful, right? Because it's probably going to be some pain involved. This guy, Tim Chester, makes this interesting comment about rebuke. Part of our problem is that we don't rebuke one another day by day. It means that when we do, it creates or exacerbates a sense of crisis. Rebuke becomes confrontation. That may be needed in some situations, but often it can be avoided if rebuke has become a normal part of the way we disciple one another. Isn't that interesting? This is kind of the whole turtle thing, right? Turtles leave it alone, leave it alone, leave it alone. It's a big thing, and then all of a sudden it's a big deal. Chester's saying, don't do that. Don't do that in the faith. Just chip each other all the time in love. Just cut across each other. If you feel the Lord wants you to cut across, cut across them and be changed and, and grow. I need people who regularly ask me about my walk with God, who readily challenge my behaviour and know about my temptations. I need my friend Samuel who often asks, what's the question you don't want me to ask you? Isn't that a good one? Now, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? That'd be a good opening to a church service. Right on, just turn to the person next to you and ask them this one. What's the question you don't want me to ask you? He's going, oh, man, maybe some of you beat people out of the church. <laughs> going, what are you doing here, man? The truth is, this is where we need to be if we've got some issues. All right. So where does, it, according to Paul in Ephesians 4, where does the deception come from? Well, read through this with me. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I hope you can see in the bold and italicised words there, there's a whole bunch of deception going on. It's, uh, it's something I regularly say at uh, school, the school students here. Uh, why, why would you get surprised when people who don't know Jesus do crazy things? I mean, that's, I'm, I'm not surprised by that. And, and I don't understand why sometimes the church actually gets really, really critical of people that don't know Christ. Because the problem is, for all of us, that we've actually got a, a bad heart. We've got a deceived heart. And the only way that we actually deal with our deceived heart is when Christ comes in and he recreates our heart. And if he hasn't come in uh, by, by faith, by the faith of the, uh, the person that doesn't know him, if he hasn't come in and changed their heart, why would you expect that they would do all these things that we think they should do because we do them as part of a church community? Their heart hasn't been renewed. It's an interesting word too there in uh, verse 19, they've become callous. If you get in underneath there... Um, in the, uh, in the Greek in behind there, it really talks about the fact that the people have become insensitive to pain. I started my uh, gig in teaching as a manual arts teacher and uh, I remember this, talking to this other manual arts teacher who was a big guitarist, loved playing the guitar, and what he actually said is what he got over his fingers was calluses on the ends of his fingers, right? And calluses are just dead skin. And uh, he would be teaching the students uh, in his class about how to use a disc sander. All right? how to use it safely. And one of the things he used to do is he'd go, don't do this, and he'd stick his fingers into the disc sander. 
right? And because it was all dead skin, he didn't feel anything. The kids, you know, like that, they're just, oh, it's terrible, but he's fine. And there's no blood because it's, he's actually, his fingers are covered over by dead skin. And in some way, Paul's actually saying that the sensitivity to pain of people that don't have a new heart is, is way decreased. It's significantly decreased inside of them. And I think you would find that, and I find that, that when we're disobedient to God over a long period of time, what actually happens? Well, we, yeah, we, we, we get desensitised to pain. And we don't realise how much it's hurting us. The converse is true as well, that when I'm walking toward God and I'm getting closer to God and God's working and renewing my heart, you actually find out the things that you're doing that are hurting you that you didn't know were hurting you before. Have you noticed that? Because that's how it works. That's just how it works. As God brings in renewal and changes your heart, the calluses get taken off, the dead skin gets taken off, and, uh, and we come alive again. But you can see there is a whole bunch of deception there. Someone who's got calluses uh, doesn't really see how they're hurting themselves. Uh, this came out uh, in one of my classes recently. Um, I was talking to uh, the students uh, about a particular area and that we had a, quite a good discussion about it. At the end of the class, this student came up to me and they said this to me. They said, why do human beings do things that kill themselves? Why do they do it? And to be honest, I don't know, but that, we do, don't we? You look at our culture and we're engaged in things that are killing us. And, and the Bible would say when you engage in disobedience and you walk away from God, you're at some level bringing about a cancer and a disease upon your own soul. And you're actually killing it. So how do we defeat this? How do we neutralise the deception uh, that exists? Well, let's go to uh, Ephesians 4 verse 20 there. But that is not the way you learn Christ. All right? If I just go back, you'll see that we, uh, we just finished at 19. So the very next verse in verse 20 is how not to be deceived. But that's not the way you learn Christ, assuming that, they, that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in who? So here's how you unmask deception. This is how you neutralise deception in your own life, is bringing Christ in. And not the truth, the intellectual truth about Christ, but the person of Christ. So this is a challenge for us as a community, is it's actually your job to image Christ to the other person that you're talking to so that they can actually be uh, removed from the deception that they're in. That's, that's your job. Your job is to teach each other Christ. And some translators actually want to say that uh, speaking the truth in love is not as much about speaking, but it's actually about truthing Christ to each other, truthing Jesus. So your job is to present Jesus to each other, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. John 14 verse 6 says that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. So the truth is not an idea. The truth is a person. And if you want to get out of deception, you have to engage with the person. That's how it works. Neutralising deception uh, number two, Ephesians 5.18. Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. <coughs> Excuse me, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a weird scripture. It's very clear. It looks like what it's saying is that we need to sing to each other. All right? Some of you are going, man, I will give thanks always when you stop. (laughs) All right? And this is, I mean, we had a pretty feisty discussion, uh, Diff and Nathan and I, about this before church started today because it seems very clear there that somehow we're meant to be singing to each other the truth so that when we sing to each other and we speak to each other the truth about Jesus, it actually makes us, creates a song in your heart for Jesus. You see that? And that's a way that we actually need to be speaking the truth to each other. How can you speak the truth to each other and sing it in a way that creates melody in your heart for Jesus. Anyway, maybe I'll just keep going. And that's a job. I mean, even on Sunday mornings, what's the job of everyone here? The job of every single person here, not just the leaders, but every single person here, is to sing, to have a melody in our hearts, at the very least, of the greatness of God and to speak out the greatness of God to each other. Because the truth is that there's probably a decent percentage of us this week that haven't known the greatness of God. And there's other things that we've thought have been greater this week. And what do you need? You need someone in church to come up to you and say, Christ is far greater and speak the truth to you. Neutralising deception three. Hebrews 10.24 And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The writer of Hebrews, there's probably going to be some blood on the floor here, and it could be mine by the end, all right? The uh, writer of Hebrews would not agree with most Western church attendance. He just wouldn't. Because he knows that being in church and speaking the truth to one another is incredibly critical. In fact, just hold on. He knows that it's absolutely central to your own spiritual health and vitality. Going to church once, missing four or five, the writer of Hebrews is just going, what the heck are you doing? And the next scripture is even going to make it even more intense. Uh, we might as well go into this right now. Check this out. Hebrews 3 verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another. When? Every day. I don't want to be rude about it, but seriously, if you're someone that only comes to church once every three or four weeks... You you actually don't get it. You don't get how dangerous it is for you. Because it's not even coming to church one day a week, right? The writer of the Hebrews is ramping it up a thousand notches, all right? We we get, you guys know this, who have been coming for a while, we don't don't get anything out of this church. We don't get paid by this church. We We don't get anything. In fact, it probably costs us money and we love to give that. And we'd love to be a blessing to you. So please don't hear me saying here that we need you to come to church for anything. You need to come to church. That's what the writer of the Hebrews would say. You need to come to church. And not only do you need to come to church, but he's saying you actually need to do church every day or you will be hardened. This is what he says here. Lest there be in any of you 
an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. He is saying that every single person here, if they're taken out of the church and the church community, is capable of hardening and being deceived and going to hell. Every one of you. You get that? This is the cool thing about the Bible. The Bible doesn't just tell us about God. The Bible tells us about us. So you need to be in biblical community. You don't have to be in one of our community groups, but you need to be in biblical community because you could go to hell if you're not. Do you get that? That's heavy. And it's not an optional thing. And I think if the writer to the Hebrews, and we're not even sure who he is, if he came and visited a lot of our churches, then he would be harsh. And I think he would be rightly harsh because the people that have got a half-hearted approach to being in church and being in biblical community are at risk of going to hell. We don't get anything out of it, but we will come and we will probably ask you, why aren't you involved in biblical community? Not because we want you to be in one of our community groups, we don't want you to go to hell. Is that fair enough? Because we love you. And I spoke with the leaders about this. We love you and we want the best for you and the best for you is to be in a biblical community where people are speaking the truth to one another. Because you could spin off, you could be like the space shuttle heading back from a mission and you could hit the Earth's atmosphere at the wrong angle and you could spin off and you could be lost forever. And we don't want that for you because we love you. And it's a challenge because most of the time probably you hear people like me in a church, a preacher in church saying you need to come to church more often. The writer of the Hebrews is going, well, you don't just need to come to church once a day. You need to do church every day. How do you get yourself into a place where there's biblical community around you where people are speaking the truth to you? This is from Tim Chester again. Every day our hearts teeter on the brink of becoming sinful, unbelieving, hardened and deceived. Every day we need people who will speak truth to us. That doesn't just happen in church on Sunday morning. It doesn't just even happen in community groups. It happens all over the place. God's body is large, isn't it? And some of you work with people who love Jesus, who speak the truth to you, and they're not part of this church. And I say, woohoo, how good's that? Do that. But there's some of you that don't work with anyone that really speaks the truth to you. And you're just really going to have to press into this thing. You're going to have to press in and work out, how can I actually be obedient to what God inspired the writer of Hebrews to say, to encourage each other and exhort the greatness and the worth of God to each other daily to get out of deception. So I'll ask you, what's your tendency? Are you the turtle or are you the cowboy when it comes to uh, speaking the truth in love at church? I'm just going to skip to... Uh, <coughs> excuse me. I'll just get all these up. I'm going to tell you a quick story. This guy's name is not Rob. All right? I'm going to call him Rob and hopefully I won't say his real name. He's given me permission to uh, tell, him, tell this story. This, uh, this week uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. And uh, it wasn't a student or anyway, it was a, an adult. Well, not that some students aren't adults, but anyway, I'm just going to dig a hole for myself if I keep going there. Uh, 
I was speaking to a mate of mine, and uh, I actually uh, had spoken to him about a week or two ago and asked him how he was going when he, when he uh, walked past me at uh, one point in time. And uh, he told me on the first occasion, he said he, was, he wasn't doing very well at all. Now, I think it was about Thursday, just gone, he, uh, he walked past. And uh, I said, how are you doing, Rob? And he goes, oh, I'm not very good. I'm not very good. He goes, you know, uh, the family's sick. The kids are sick a lot. Uh, I'm failing at work. Uh, I'm struggling in my relationship with God. And he said, and I don't even know whether I'm praying right. He said, I, I don't even know whether I'm praying the right prayer so that they actually get past the ceiling. And he goes, and, and I'm failing. And he just gave me this whole catalogue of things that just weren't going right for him. And it was weird because here I am, just about to preach a message on speaking the truth in love. And here's a situation for a guy who's a guy who's really struggling. Now, my instant response to someone who's struggling is I just need to be really tender and I kind of need to be a turtle with him about the truth. And I just need to think, all right? Pull my head in and just love him, all right? But, you know, I don't know whether you picked it up, but there was a couple of things that he said that weren't quite right. Do you notice he said something like, uh, I don't know whether I'm praying right and I don't think my prayers are getting past the ceiling. Is that true? Like if, if God has one of his sons in distress, is God sitting up there with a checklist just going, you didn't pray right, man. I'm not letting it in. Pretty sure that when one of God's kids just yells out help and just needs help, God's, he's hearing it. So what does he need to hear? This, this guy, Rob, needed to hear someone say, Rob, there's no formula, man. There's no formula. God's a gracious, merciful God who will hear you. And it was weird because I'm just, I'm going to be dead, dead set honest with you. I struggled to get the guts to actually speak the truth to him in another area too. And I almost went off into a third person thing. I said to him, look, mate, I'm preaching about this on Sunday. I said, you know what I would say uh, to you if I was, see, it's bad if I was doing what I was preaching on Sunday. You know what I'd say to you? I'd, I'd say, Rob, I'd say to you, your failures don't define you. And the blood of Christ and the guy, I mean, seriously, five seconds in to this little kind of speaking the truth thing, he's, he was like a rabbit in headlights, you know. He's just eyes as big as you like. Rob, your failures don't define you. And it's not right for you to take your failures from yesterday and identify yourself today with those failures. That's, that's not how the blood of Christ works. The way the blood of Christ works is uh, it cleanses you totally and makes you totally clean and you don't get identified by what you failed at yesterday. And he said to me after that, he said, you know when you did that bit? He said, that just really hit something deep inside of me. And he said, he gave me permission to share this. He said, and if you want to share with the people on Sunday, what's just happened today, you share it with them. But isn't that the kind of truth that we need to be speaking to each other? Isn't that it? And the thing is, the really sad thing is, here's a brother in need... And most probably my tendency is to be more of a, even though I sound like a cowboy when I preach, right? I'm actually, at heart, I'm a turtle, relationally with people. And my tendency then was I'm, I'm running from it. But you see, if you're a turtle, folks, that when someone really needs you to speak the truth to them in love and you don't do it, I mean, <laughs> Rob's going to go through the rest of the day being identified uh, by his failures and thinking his prayers aren't going past the ceiling. 
And in some way, if I neglect to fulfill the calling that God puts on me to speak the truth to him, I'm responsible for that. That's really sad. Like, I mean, if I was to ask you, do you actually want someone to live their life in condemnation the whole way through the day? I'm sure most of you just go, no, we don't want that. We don't want that. But sometimes it's going to mean that you're going to have to speak the truth to each other in a way that feels a bit confrontational and that's a bit hard. We'll talk a little bit more about how to do it actually uh, next week, but I read this, read this quote from this guy, Paul Tripp, and he said, uh, the fact that we don't confront each other is not because we love other people too much, it's because we love ourselves too much. And we actually don't want the discomfort but if we really want to help other people, there's going to have to be those moments where we step across the line and it could get ugly. And it's like, oh, no, I love you, man. <laughs> I love you. And just please hear me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. There's always probably going to be a bit of pride. I'm trying not to be proud. I'm trying not to kind of corrupt this and mess it up. I just want you to know that I love you and I just see something there that I just think you need to... There's something I feel like you need to hear. I'm just going to share it with you. And who knows what you're going to save them from. If you don't do it, it could go on for a long time. A person in that state. So I ask you to close. Somehow, if you're at the cowboy end, if you're at the turtle end, the biblical balance is somewhere in the middle, isn't it? Because it does say early in Ephesians chapter 4 that we are to bear with one another in love. Now, bearing with one another in love is a bit of a turtle thing, isn't it? It's just I'm going to pull my head in and I'm just, I'm just going, to, I'm going to put up with it. But then there's a bit of cowboy thing in, Hebrews, sorry, in Ephesians 4. It's saying speak the truth to each other and help each other and love each other. Which error do you tend toward? Are you the person that doesn't want to offend people? You don't want to hurt them? You don't want to butt into their business. You don't want to be rude. You don't want them to think ill of you. You don't want to jeopardise the relationship. You don't want them to be unhappy with you. You just want peace at all costs. Or are you the cowboy who uh, uses words and truth to uh, funnel anger and bitterness and resentment and hostility and vengeance through your words? God would call all of us to come to the middle and to be like Christ. He's been the only one in all of history who has, in a very neat package, being able to put together speaking the truth and love and get it right all the time. So my exhortation for all of us is let's all become more like Christ. Amen? I'm going to pray. Jesus, maybe there's been uh, some hard words today, but uh, as Mark Driscoll says, Lord... uh, Hard words produce soft people and soft words produce hard people. And uh, so, God, we come to you and I pray that you'd help us to take your words on board, your hard words on board, and that you would make us soft people so that we can speak the truth to one another, so that this is a really vibrant community, God, that we just wouldn't neglect the moments, the critical moments, where a small conversation can make a massive difference. God, and I pray for the cowboys who say too many things. Uh, without love and I pray that you'd help them to learn of you Jesus to learn of you to learn how to love and to be truthful and help them to speak the truth more out of love help them to grow 
closer toward the centre. Amen.